1: Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Jared Dubin of 538 and many other wonderful outlets, and we have a really good conversation bouncing between the offseason that is still ongoing but is getting pretty settled, including how it affects the title picture, Jared's thoughts on the Knicks, the Sixers, and plenty of other fun stuff, and then also, of course, Summer League, where Jared and I are both at the moment. Lots of good stuff there, and just as a note... This was recorded on Saturday. There isn't really anything, I think, that was particularly outmoded by what has happened since then, but I just wanted to let you know in case. Episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that CLNS50 promo code to tell them you came from us and to, more importantly for you, get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Episode runs, oh, should be about 40 minutes. A lot of good stuff in here. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Always a good time. We're going to do a mix of offseason and summer league. You know, you and I are both here in Vegas. And I want to start, though, with the offseason. Is there any kind of big picture takeaway that you have so far? Or is it more kind of like a series of more narrow takeaways?
0: I guess my big picture takeaway is that the title picture from last season hasn't changed that much due to specific offseason moves. It's more about players coming back from injury that would change what we might think of what will happen next season if that makes
1: sense it does yeah i i mean we wondered about that and of course a kevin durant deal should it happen could potentially turn that but yeah we didn't really see the teams that we ex- that we expect to be at the top make meaningful changes so far and we didn't really see yet anyone jump into that conversation as well
0: right like you know boston i think got meaningfully better if not necessarily like overwhelmingly better, but they were already the Eastern Conference champions last year. It's not like the Celtics getting better changes the title picture all that much. You know, the Warriors lost a couple bench pieces, but they were already really good, and they have young players ready to step into bigger roles. You know, the Bucks are getting guys back from injury. The Nets weren't really in the title picture last season. um It seemed like they're falling apart. I guess the Sixers getting uh meaningfully better might change things a little bit in the East, just in terms of sort of leveling them or leveling the playing field or getting close closer to leveling the playing field with like Boston and Milwaukee at the top. Um, And then the heat losing uh, PJ Tucker meaningfully hurts them, I think. So that might be a little bit of a change now that I think about it, but Obviously, the big dominoes left to fall are, you know, Durant, Kyrie, DeAndre Ayton. Like those things could dramatically affect things. And I guess if you considered Utah a title contender last season, um, then the Rudy Gobert trade obviously changes things quite a bit as well.
1: Right, and I I agree with you pretty much wholeheartedly. And I'm happy you brought up the point of Philly's destiny changing a bit. I mean, they got they got some real functional depth, and one of the big frustrations I had with them last year. And it's not like Daryl Morey's fault. It's just how the team kind of came together over the last few years and some of the moves that – the sins of his predecessors, let's call it that way – that they didn't have enough playoff rotation caliber guys. And we saw that, you know, like, I mean, Thibault. you know, I wondered about Thibault, you know, not being able to play in the Toronto series and where that in the Toronto games of that series was going to be a huge problem. And the bigger problem was that he wasn't good in the games he did play in rather than that. And so huh. you have Daniel House, you have PJ Tucker, like there, there's some real options there. And so I think that that does put Philly, I think, A, I think it'll make them a better regular season team, but m- more importantly, in my eyes, it makes them a better playoff team. But you brought up Gobert at the end. And I think that that to me is the big takeaway, connects with it so far is that as a practical understanding right now, I think that general managers should be considering that it is exceedingly unlikely for star level players, and, and there are differing levels of stars, like star, mega star, however you want to define those terms, to change teams via free agency. Like that is... This is something
0: that I, I brought this up with you last summer when uh, in relation to um, actually the one team that did make like a, a big outside free agent signing this offseason in relation to the Knicks because they signed all those one and two year deals to players in like the medium salary range and I was like this is very obviously they're trying to position themselves to group these guys together for a star and then that flat out like didn't work and they had to dump, to dump all those guys to go sign another free agent but but,
1: but they didn't they have to on, pay that much that's that's to do it like that's the the asset cost for them because those deals were shorter and and it, it was interesting because I, I actually thought that approach had a lot of merit the Knicks also still have a bunch of first round picks it was just that the player they got I mean I don't define Brunson as a star I like him quite a bit. And we'll talk about the Knicks in a second. But I, I I, still think that the process of that was eminently reasonable if you didn't have anything else to do with the space. And be, part of it is because those contracts were so short, other than Fournier and, and Randall's kind of a different situation. And why Gobert is crystallizing in this respect is, but in some ways, it's Gobert. And yeah, I mean, the, the asset return for the Jazz on that is wild. And you know, like that could potentially be why a Kevin Durant deal will take longer to actually happen is because Durant – I mean, they're different ages, but like Durant is a meaningfully better player than Gobert, and I love Gobert. Like, Durant's just better, and it's like, well, okay, and their contracts are very similar, and – So where are you going to go from that? But for me, Gobert is a part of this equation. But the more telling elements are actually James Harden, Bradley Beal, and Zach Levine. So those three shooting guards, all of whom hit some version of the open market this year. And one of them was traded to his current team within the last year one of whom has been there for a little while, and the last time he had to get an offer sheet and all that, and then the third has been there forever. And it doesn't appear, from what we know, that any of them had any serious dalliances with any other franchise. Yeah,
0: um, that's an interesting point, actually. I mean, I guess because some of it is likely because the free agent suitors with actual cap space were not really the type of teams to be in the mix for those guys well, and, and, and In theory and, that, yeah. in, Well I was going to say In theory The Knicks could have gone After one of them But they were like Very honed in on Brunson Right away And it also didn't seem Like any of those guys Was really all that Interested in leaving Um, You can get your money And then just request A trade later If you want to
1: Exactly um, one, thing,
0: and, one thing I want to say About those three guys though If I hear one more time About Bradley Beal Being the only guy In the league With a new, no trade clause Without the context That he's one of like Three guys in the league who Was actually eligible For a no trade clause At the time he signed His current deal I'm going to go crazy. Like, you have to be in the league for at least eight years, at least four years with the team you're signing with, and you have to hit actual free agency. You can't get one in an extension. So, like, him and Levine were basically, like, the only guys that could have gotten one in the last, like, ten years.
1: Yeah, I think Steph could have that one time that he kind of went all the way up. But you're right, there are very few, and Curry not getting it was was notable. and, And Beal getting it, does that lead to a precedent? We'll have to see. The other... Huge consideration there is that to me the I and I I, you know did a whole thing on this with the Memphis Grizzlies as the sleeping giant is the Memphis Grizzlies with the ascendance of Desmond Bain didn't really need a two guard like I mean they could Zach, Zach Levine especially is one hell of a player like if you can get Zach Levine you may figure out some of the other stuff later but. And, and that's part of why I find Memphis one of the most compelling teams for this offseason where they did some very specific things, but like they had, they had an element of like market power that didn't materialize. And I don't know and probably will never know whether that happened because of a battle plan from their part that they, you know, they re- rather retain Tyus Jones and keep some of their cap space. And like they're, the, the team is going to get very expensive pretty quickly with John Morant and everything else. So I don't know whether this was a missed opportunity or an opportunity that they prioritized differently. And it just so happened that most of the free agents that would have been the most help, like that, that, the, the niche that they need most, to me, that's like a defensively versatile forward who can maybe do a little bit of creation. That player wasn't particularly available. And due to circumstances that are dispiriting and disappointing and all that, the best, the best of those guys, Miles Bridges is, just in a functionally different place.
0: Yeah, um, I remember you guys talked about him to Memphis in the mock offseason Yes, if I'm remembering, I, I was
1: Memphis correctly. and I was Memphis and negotiated a sign and trade. Right.
0: Yeah, and I was like, oh, that was interesting because I hadn't previously thought about it because of all the, you know, they're going to match. Charlotte's going to match the offer, and like maybe he'll go to Detroit or something like that. Um, and it was really interesting. But obviously, like, I-, I don't see how anybody could justify signing him right, right. now. Right. And and,
1: and uh-huh. those issues, of course, take precedence. Like it, it you know, that that is the, you know, and I, it, it's funny, like, there's a part of me that's like, oh, saying it every time, but it's important to say it every time. Like, that's, you know, that, that's what, that's what this is about. And, you know, making sure that, that people are protected, children, family members, everything else. And it's very disturbing. And, and where that situation goes is, I mean, it's, it's more important for non basketball reasons than basketball reasons, but it is a weird question. And with Memphis, I'm starting to think of them in a weird way as kind of spiritually similar to the Boston Celtics, where Boston had the Danny Ainge war chest and they were, you know, they were in the mix on all these things. And, you know, our mutual friend Seth Partner calls him Danny almost on the idea that they were almost getting all these guys. But a part of it is there is this confluence. Of You know, it's like success is where preparation meets opportunity. And like Anthony Davis not particularly wanting to go there and being one year away from free agency and Paul George not, you know, not kind of being the right space. And also like their young guys got so good that you didn't necessarily need the same things around them. And so Memphis could end up in that boat. And they were the two seed this year. And, you know, you could argue that they could have made it even further in the playoffs had Jod not gotten hurt. I think that would have been... It's a fair argument to make. I think they probably still would have fallen to the Warriors. But, yeah, they're, they're a damn good team. And they're going to continue to progress as they age. You know, this is a team that age-related stuff is going to be positive for. But the idea of, you know, like throwing all those resources and incidentally like getting a Jalen Brown like whether that's Jalen Brown or the next Jalen Brown is going to be hard for them.
0: I think it's harder maybe in theory than in practice just because they like with the Celtics it was always the same guys that everyone was throwing like can you trade Tatum or Brown? I think Memphis has like more guys that you can put in a trade like obviously Morant is not going to be in any trade but you know you go down the list of guys like you know Dylan Brooks at least this year could be used as, as salary ballast in trade they have Zaire williams brandon clark i don't think desmond bain is going to get traded but now they just got the a few more guys they drafted that people like like I, I think they have more of the maybe this guy could be not necessarily the centerpiece but i mean even jaron jackson jr as good as he was last year the injury issues and things like that he's going to miss a lot seemingly at least a bunch of this season now after the latest surgery um you know you could justify saying like we're going to move off him for a wing instead and figure something out at center Like, he's so good that it would be really difficult to do that. But I do think that there are a wider variety of guys that they could put in, particularly this year with Dylan Brooks in the final year of his deal. And they have the Danny Green non-guaranteed salary and Jarrett Colbert at 8 million a year i'm looking at their cap sheet now so like if there is a time for them to do it i think it's this year um and then in the future the more chest of guys that they can put in that you can see what we say these guys are the centerpiece or one of the centerpieces of this type of deal thins out a little bit more but instead of being so focused on two guys i do think they have a little bit more to work with there so that could be an, you know an interesting aspect of it
1: that's a great point and along those lines it creates more opportunities for trades. And it also, I mean, it's going to bring the question. And I, you know, I talked about how it's hard to interpret Memphis's offseason right now just because we're going to get further context over the next year plus. But are they dancing, playing a dangerous game where they not, I'm not even going to say necessarily overvalue their guys, but are at the point where they they like and they've drafted extremely well. They found a lot of, you know, you could think of Dylan Brooks and Brandon Clark and, I like Xavier Tillman quite a bit too. And Jaron, like, you know, he, cause Jaws kind of in his own boat. Like you're not trading him. He's your cornerstone of that. And are they, so, so you have this evaluation point that you're continually making of, are we better off either consolidating or just moving some of our players for other ones? And, At a certain point, you have to make a decision because the to retaining your players is going to cost significantly more than it did before, and you have to make those decisions. Like it's it's a good problem to have, but at some point, you know you can't pay Dylan Brooks and Zaire Williams and Laravia and John Morant and all that and so well, well, well wait you can owners don't want it right oh yeah thank you thank you for clarifying that yeah it's it's a it's a will not a can um and i appreciate right. that i'm usually better about that and and so i think with with memphis it's this idea of do you believe do you believe in your own players too much and i i'm not to put i'm not the point yet where i'm gonna make a pronouncement on that i like a lot of their players a lot i think dylan brooks could be the problem there. I think Dylan Brooks, as good as he is, he, you know, the distinction between 82 games and 16 games with his specific flaws, I mean, he did have some huge offensive performances, but overall, to me, Dylan Brooks is... pro At primarily a player who helps get you to that point rather than the player who elevates you to the next one. And those are the hardest goodbyes to make if you want to really go to that level. And you have to actually have the player lined up. Like you you're not gonna just dump Dylan Brooks because he's not your perfect fit. You need to have that player who's going to be between Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. You're probably gonna have two guys. So it's not even necessarily that Desmond Bain and Zyre Williams are mutually exclusive, but at some point they're going to have to kind of piece piece all of this together, in part because... If, if they're not all the way to the level that they could be, if they're not, like, a championship contender or if you want to be really optimistic, a championship front runner, then you have to think about, well, would this make our make our team better overall?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm with you. I think Brooks turning himself into, you know, a truly positive defender over the past couple of years makes him a little bit more of a 16-game player True. than he was maybe, a couple of years ago.
1: It, for and me, it it's more like, the shot selection and fit within the offense. than his. De- I like his defense quite a bit. Right,
0: a- absolutely. That's where I was going next. It's, you know, the offensive concerns that you have. Not even that he's not capable of being a good offensive player just that a lot of times he isn't despite the useful skills that he has to help an offense because of the mentality, I guess I would say, but that also, like, that mentality is also what makes him such a good defensive player and such, like, a key piece for their, you know, whole team-wide attitude that they have, which is, you know, sort of the foundation of that team in addition to the talent. I think ideally for them, Zaire Williams just becomes that guy that replaces Brooks in the rotation, essentially, and then, you know, it's next man up with one of the guys they drafted this year or John Conchar as, you know, the the fifth wing, I guess, on the team. Um, but, you know, that's in the best case scenario and you got to see what happens there. But, you know, this is the last year that they have to make a call on that. Otherwise they're going to have to, you know, pay Brooks next summer. And that gets uh, a little dicey because right now he's, you know, 11 and a half million is pro- he's probably like underpaid for his production. But if you appropriately paid him, I'm not sure how much that does for you and your team building. Um, So this is the, you know, the year to make a decision. Like you said,
1: let's go to the Knicks they definitely made some made some moves made some swings this off season and i wanted to i mean you can you can start whichever side you want of kind of how they got here and what they are now
0: yeah um so i like I'm higher, I think, on Jalen Brunson than other people, and have been for a while. Like, I think that the, even the value of that contract is not particularly bad, and it hasn't been officially agreed to yet because them and the Pistons are still working out when and how they're going to do this Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel trade, and whether the Knicks are going to make this Brunson deal a sign and trade or outright sign in with cap space, or somehow operate as an over the cap team, which seems less likely now after they waived Taj Gibson, um, but. Could still theoretically happen, I think. Um, but like four years and 104 million is, is not that bad to me. That's like, you know, 15th or 16th in, you know, point guard salaries. Or something along those lines. You know, it's it's only four million total more over the four years than Anthony Simon's got. Uh and I think Brunson has been a better player. Obviously he's a few years older and he's smaller. Um I don't think there's a meaningful difference between the two of them on defense. They're both not very good on that side of the ball. But I think Brunson is a very good fit for what Tom Thibodeau likes in his point guards in terms of his mentality and his facility as a pick and roll player, um, and his ability to score in sort of in between areas of the floor. My issue is more that that Knicks roster does not really set him up for success. They don't have a lot of shooting. They're always going to have two traditional big men on the floor, including at least one who's like an, a non-threat outside the immediate area of the basket. And for someone who's so focused on getting into the paint and finishing oversized in like tiny spaces all the time, I think that could hamper Brunson a little bit. And then specifically him and Julius Randle both tend to be very heavy operating on the left side of the floor guys. Um R.J. Barrett is more on the right side of the floor, so he can drive to his left hand. So I think it's a little bit of a better fit with him. But there, there are more fit issues than talent issues with the signing for me um, and then with their other signings this offseason they now are essentially paying their two centers like twenty three million dollars a year and if you want to include Jericho Sims like twenty five twenty six 26 million dollars a year. Uh, Mitchell Robinson hasn't really shown the ability to stay healthy, so he'll probably miss a decent amount of time through each of those four years. I don't particularly like paying non-star centers double-digit million dollars a year, but if you were using all your cap space to sign Brunson and Hartenstein, then letting Robinson walk for nothing um, probably wasn't a great use of assets. But given who their coaches, I don't think they signed Robinson to preserve him as an asset. I think they signed him because the coach wants to have a rim protector on the court at all times. I just don't think it's particularly good value for the production Robinson has provided or will provide over the course of the contract, specifically because of the injury issues, but then also because I tend to think his defense is at least a little bit overrated because he's such an incredible shot blocker, um, but he chases those blocks all the time. He's gotten better about it, and the foul issues have come down a little bit over the past couple of years, but I don't think he's like an elite defensive player. I think he's a pretty good defensive player with elite block numbers, um, all of which is to say the Knicks are basically in a similar spot. To where they were the last two years, where they're like pretty good, not a serious threat to contend for all that much, and not a serious threat to be like super high in the lottery. But I, I think that was true whether or not they signed Brunson, and I-, I don't think that is the move that locks them into that.
1: That's totally fair, and I think back to a piece Kevin Pelton wrote for ESPN about Brunson's scalability, and I- and I agree with that. Basically, the premise was you know you look at the time that Jalen Brunson played without Luka Doncic, and not only was he effective, but the Mavs' offense was was pretty effective. However, there is a difference between those two, and that's generally – and Dallas is incidentally moving away from this to some extent this year. Those had a very spaced floor, and there were players that if they're not involved in the primary action, the other team still has to stay on. And so Brunson, a wonderful finisher, even in traffic, like he, he had a little less traffic to navigate. And so generally speaking, that is easier for him to deal with. But I, I, and so I think that'll be harder. But I, I do think that he will do well overall for them. And I have trouble reconciling for the Knicks. And it's, you know, I would actually put them somewhat in a similar boat. I think the Hawks are a little bit better and they're younger. So maybe they have a little bit brighter future. But this idea of teams that made big commitments to be consistently good, but not really like it would take a lot to get into the title picture. And there are a lot of different models. There are a lot of different approaches, a lot of ways to define success. And I understand that being consistently relevant is a place that a lot of owners want to be. It was just surprising to see a number of different teams make that commitment in a way this offseason.
0: Yeah, I think I would agree with that just in terms of the number of teams doing it i do think that the Hawks paid quite a bit more to do it than the Knicks did you know the knicks essentially gave up six second round picks to do it while the Hawks gave up three first round picks and i would rather give up six seconds than three firsts certainly um even even in the Knicks position where they do have a bunch of extra firsts I think they have four extra firsts over the next five years or so um, depending on how the protection protections shake out in a couple of the picks that they got in that when they traded the 11 pick on draft night um so they didn't give up all that much to lock themselves in it was just a lot of maneuvering because they had to do it three separate trades essentially um but with them with the hawks and then, you know, your mileage may vary on the Wolves. I don't think they particularly vaulted themselves into the title picture. I think they more vaulted themselves into, like, we're going to make the playoffs the next few years at least type of team. Um, so that's, you know, three teams. And those were the – I grouped those three teams together kind of for that reason. When I did my um, my free agency roundup at, at 538, we did one specifically on the Hawks, Wolves, and Knicks and, you know, what they did to position themselves to get better but not necessarily leap into the upper echelon. And then we did one on basically – everyone else like the the, the title contenders adding you know, depth pieces like the the Celtics that we already talked about, the Nuggets adding Bruce Brown, uh, the Clippers adding John Wall, the Sixers adding uh, Tucker House and D'Anthony Melton, who we didn't mention earlier, but is also another important guy for them in that same sort of wing defender role who can actually be on the court, unlike Matisse (laughs) Theibel. So it was, you know, sort of those teams and then the teams that went like bargain hunting with their mid-level exception and whatnot. So it's, it's certainly interesting, but I think that the price you pay to do it does matter. And I think that the Hawks and Wolves will likely be better than the Knicks over the next few years, but at a significantly higher cost. And with, I think, more uh, limiting to their future flexibility because of it, that's not to say that the Knicks will figure out a way to thread the needle to get you know ahead of the Hawks and Wolves if history tells us anything, the Knicks likely won't do that because they haven't done it for the past twenty years. <laughs> but they do still have, you know, more high level assets left, at least in terms of draft picks, to figure out a way to do that. Whereas, you know, the, the Hawks probably had higher level player assets with, you know, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, Clint Capella. And, you know, the Wolves, I don't know what else they can trade because the three guys that they're building around, are the guys they're probably not going to trade to vault themselves up from where they are now. I guess it depends on Jaden McDaniels. They have Jaden, not Jalen, right? I think.
1: Yes. Jalen is the one in Charlotte, I believe. Right.
0: Them and the Martins. Like, I'm just glad that the Martins are still not on the same team so that I know which one is which.
1: Plenty more with Jared Dubin, but first a message from betonline.ag. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports development, including Major League Baseball, all the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Use that CLNS50 promo code to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It also tells them that you came from us. So remember to use that promo code CLNS50 to get the bonus and get into the action at BetOnline where the game starts. The last kind of offseason thing, and this isn't as much, you know, as much as I love and we will probably write about how, where this is going to go. The other kind of looming thing with this offseason beyond Durant and Kyrie, where we'll just see where things head- end up is we're starting to get these clear indications that basketball related income is going to go up pretty significantly in the ne- at some point in the next few years like if for those who are wondering why the Damian Lillard contract the contract numbers were so high for him those are leaning pretty heavily on a very optimistic cap estimate which could be reality like the f- the funniest part about it is they're that we don't know like it because that that will be tied in with a new TV deal and That is the type of seismic shift that will have all of these different consequences, but we're at the point now where we can kind of see the signs that it's coming, but we also can't pinpoint what it's going to do because there are so many decisions, but with smoothing, with what the actual negotiations turn up, everything else, to tell us what it's going to mean. But like Jalen Brunson's contract or Zach Levine's contract or all these, they're going to look really different if – we're in a fundamentally elevated cap environment three years from now
0: yeah and we like we know the money is coming but we don't know essentially how or when or how it's going to be structured to come into the league like we know that most likely neither the owners nor the players want it to all come in at once like it did in 2016 we don't know if they're going to do pre-smoothing post-smoothing a bunch of mini jumps we don't like with, we, and we don't know how much of whatever is coming in is coming in or how big that jump will be i heard someone say on a podcast the other day that the the new tv deal could be like two and a half to three times what this one is that would be insane <laughs> like and that that seems like a high end estimate to me like maybe twice as much maybe you know something in that range but even that brings in so much more money and then you talk about like the gambling money that's likely to come in and whatever else they're going to do like things are going to get astronomical and you're going to start hearing salaries and be like, oh my god, that's crazy and then it turns out that that's like a 30% max, you know, so it's, uh, the numbers sound shocking right now, especially when Dame's extension is like three years out or whatever it is, it's like it's like fake money, you don't even know what, what it's going to be.
1: Exactly and so, you know, I, I had this this point of it, it's like, yeah, that's, it's a very rosy cap estimate but I can't disprove it Like, and, and there's a lot, of, a lot of, you know, those negotiations, they, they probably have more some people probably have more information about where this is going and you know like real gm's model does a really good job but we don't know exactly where that we don't there's more uncertainty right now in those different constituent elements especially with the element like with what you brought up where how this comes in is going to be extremely important but also is completely unknown at this moment let's jump to summer league though and you know we're both in vegas now watching some games What do you, what have you taken away from? I don't know how much of it you watched before we got to Vegas from the, like, the the other summer leagues and from in person. What, what has stuck out to you so far?
0: I didn't watch any of the, um, Utah or California summer leagues, um, sitting there yesterday, um, I was impressed, obviously, with Moses Moody. Um, the Moses Moody-Quentin Grimes matchup in that um, Knicks-Warriors game was really fun. Those two guys basically spent the entire game guarding each other. Um, Moody shot well and Grimes didn't, which I think sort of oversold the difference between how the two played, particularly in the second half. Like, I thought Grimes looked better um, off the dribble than he did at any point last year, or at least was doing more off the dribble. And then Moody just like kept getting to the line and hit like every shot um kaminga i think tried to send jericho sims into like the multiverse of madness with a dunk at one point um but <laughs> but didn't really do much other than that um that that game i think that that was most of what stood out for me the game before that um we we were sitting next to each other for these two games Your uh, your guy mcgowan's on the hornets uh looked pretty good and uh ben matherin who i really liked coming into the draft looked good as well i, I never know how much to take from any of this particularly with the rookies um second year guys looking good like moody and grimes that I- yesterday did i thought um if they continue that with their next couple of games and then their teams shut them down that tends to be a good sign which i wrote about last year um the rookies is I tend not to draw quite as much from their performances.
1: I like to think about rookies with the idea of kind of vague outlines. It's what what looks like it's going to work, what looks like it's not. How are they as an athlete relative to their peers? Do they look bigger? Like it's a very weird, basic question, but especially with so many high end prospects skipping the combine or at least not doing measurements at the combine. Like, okay, you know Jabari Smith and Paulo Bancaro are standing next to each other. How do, do they look like they're similar sizes, frame, wingspan? All that type of stuff, that can be important. And so you're getting that, you know, preliminary sense of like with Jaden Ivey, is his first step as fast as I thought it was and the answer preliminarily is yes. Like it looked it looked good in that Detroit game. And so for them, like you said, it's trying not to overreact and, you know, remembering, especially like right now f- for some of these guys, it's their first summer league game, and so they could be jittery. It could be everything else, and we will learn a lot more not only in the preseason, but for a lot of the high end players in the regular season because they're going to get real minutes. And so, I so for the top end guys, I'm actually learning less, I would say. But then for me, you know, Nate and I right now we're only really able to scout like the top eight, maybe ten, and so the guys that are outside of that, I've obviously heard things from people whose opinions I, I respect. But it's, does it look, you know, like, does it look like they can play? You know, like, what do they are the things that they do well? And so, like, for Jalen Duren, for example, I thought he changed ends really well. I thought he played with force and intensity. And he's going to have to grow his game. He's going to have to kind of adapt some things. But I, I think that there was some really foundational stuff that I liked. And you brought up McGowan's And, like, I, you know, you, a lot of these players, you've never seen them before. And so it's just like, okay, what do they do? And so, like, McAllens' his jump shot looked good. And that Charlotte team is probably going to come up, maybe not as much on Real G. Radio, but on Dunked On a fair amount. Their summer league team part it made that game unwatchable because they started Kai Jones, Nick Richards, and uh JT Thor. And JT Thor altogether. They didn't even start their the, you know their first round pick this year, Mark Williams. He came off the bench because they had three centers already. And so that meant that McGowan's and I think his name was Crutcher were basically the only two guys, and Crutcher was missing a million shots in that game. So it's like it wasn't exactly the most favorable ecosystem for any of those guys. There was a point in the first half where Kai Jones was three of three on twos and 0 for seven on threes. And it's like,
0: okay, I'm not going to blame him. That continued. I'm looking at it now. He went five for five on twos and 0 for 10 on threes. Oh boy!
1: Um, and, but so for those guys, so with McAllen's, I'm like, okay, I could see, I could see it's working, and that does not mean he's a starter right now. who's going to be a starter of the future. It's just like, okay, he could play. And then the other guy that was like that, I only saw the second half of his game on on Friday, was Josh Mina. and I know John Hollinger favorite, a lot of other guys, Vasidi loves him too, and it happens every year coming to summer league. It's part of why I love summer league so much that there's a player, and it's even can be true of times that I have seen them before at the Hoop Summit or TBSA stuff or whatever. And you see somebody on the floor and you just go, like even the first time you see him for five, ten minutes, and you're like, why in the world was this guy not a first-round pick? And that's how I felt seeing Josh Minot for the first time.
0: Uh, that was in the other gym, so I didn't see him play, but um, that, that does happen sometimes. Or like, why was this guy not taken earlier, at least? like, But I, even then, I don't know how much stock to put in that kind of stuff, especially um, it, Minot is a big though, right?
1: Josh Minot, he's a wing.
0: Oh, he's a wing. Okay. Like six, 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 um, seven
1: off the cuff. Okay.
0: I was going to say, like, with, with guards, it's hard to know, just because they're given essentially full control over the entire games here, and the guard play tends to be so bad that if anyone looks competent, it's like, wow. That guy really should have been drafted higher. Yeah, um, and that I think that makes it tough to evaluate the big men here too because they just don't get a lot of chances because nobody really knows how to put them in position to succeed for the most yeah. part. And but, but the guys that do, they get shut down early.
1: By the way, I I, I don't know. I, I've never really done too much digging. You and I both love the CBA on how summer league contracts work. But if I were a team that didn't have a developmental guard that I wanted to give those minutes to, and a lot of teams do, you want you want players even if you don't think Moses Moody is going to run your offense for the Warriors in the next two years, you still kind of want him to explore the studio space. But one thing I would consider is just, like, find a competent point guard, even if they're like 28, 29, somewhere else, to just have them set the table. Because as you said, there are a lot of players who could really benefit from that. I thought Mark Williams in particular, Kevin Pelton brought that up about, like, yeah, like LaMelo Ball, not LiAngelo Ball, LaMelo Ball could really help him out. And that happens and, and it makes it hard to evaluate. But I mean, another point to remember is that Summer League is not the definitive pronouncement for any of these guys. And so I talked about how for it's vague outlines for first year guys and you don't want to be, and especially for me, it's more about the positive than the negative because a lot of the negative is jitters or could be things that are ironed out with time. But if you look good, then it's more likely that you're going to be good. And so that, you know, if whether you're a second round pick or a top five or whatever like that. And then that. I think kind of flips on its head once it's a high end player in their second year, and then it becomes if you don't look good, I'm going to be concerned. And so, I think that
0: that's more um, third. Like if you're still playing here in your third year, that's generally a bad sign, and if you don't dominate, that's a bad sign, uh, or like a really bad sign. But last year, I looked into like what the performance level jump from year one to year two is for guys that either um don't come don't come to summer league. In between year one and year two at all, guys that come to Summer League and are so good that they get shut down, and then guys that come to Summer League and play the whole way through. Um, the guys that come and get shut down do tend to make the biggest jump, but they're also tending to be starting from a lower place. So it's hard to, um, I'm trying to scroll back and find this story so I could see what the exact takeaway was. But it's it's not necessarily the worst thing if you come to Summer League and just like play Summer League. You still tend to improve in your second year. Um, almost as much as the too good to be here guys, um, not nearly as much as the too good to be here guys that were lottery picks, but a little bit more than the too good to be here guys that were non lottery picks, but the, um, the, the summer league guys that just like play are starting from a much lower place. So that improvement might be a little bit more meaningful, if that makes sense.
1: It does make sense, and I was encouraged by you know like Josh Christopher. I thought played with more discipline. He also was a little bit better defensively, and that that makes him that was important. Kelly Uko did a good piece on that in in his and Moody. We already talked about there, and you're a I I didn't love what I saw from Killian Hayes in game one, but I will you know continue to watch him. And then it looks like it's going to be Sunday. We're going to get to see James Wiseman. I happen to be at one of the few competitive basketball games he's played in the last year, but. How he's looking physically, and I hope we get to see some Usman Garuba as well, because another guy who just we haven't gotten to see very much.
0: Yeah, I, I personally haven't seen Garuba really at all. Um, I was standing next to Wiseman yesterday, and he looked like physically good. I mean, I don't know how he's moving around, obviously, but you know, it'll be. I'll, I'll certainly be at that game tomorrow because I'm going to want to see how he looks on the court. Um, there was another point that I was going to make that I forgot what it was as I was talking.
1: Um, oh, that's so. all right. Um, so you, we both like Benedict Matherin. We can talk about him briefly. I thought that one of my favorite parts of his film was that Matherin, a good, a very good vertical athlete, he has really nice balance on his jumper. You know, it's it's usually in rhythm, whether it was a pull-up or whether it was a catch and shoot And I thought that really did carry over to the NBA.
0: Oh, his jumper is beautiful. Like, I, I could just watch that dude shoot jumpers all day. Like, the form is incredible. Like, he's one of the rare guys who actually does shoot, like, at the top of... Of his jump instead of on the way up. Like Michael Porter is kind of the same way. So it looks like they're releasing it from so high because they're releasing it literally at the peak. Of when they're jumping uh, um and it's just it's so smooth and like i, I said we talked about him when he was w- one of the few guys that i had watched so far but we like were right before we were jumping on a podcast like can you talk about draft guys and i was like i've only watched like three guys but i really like this guy matherin i was like if it works out he's gonna basically be like zach levine and i still sort of feel that way like a guy with such a smooth jumper and such like explosive athleticism that looks kind of effortless
1: I also, I mean, we saw them playing a lot together with at the two and the three with him and Chris Duarte, and it. I think the Pacers. We still don't know what in the world this team is going to look like at the start of the regular season. It could be something similar to what they have now. It could be very it's different. Look
0: like their summer league team.
1: They're playing like half their rotation. It could. yeah, I mean, and Isaiah Jackson is in there. Is in the rotation. It's just. I think that at some point, and Caitlin Cooper and I talked about this at length on on this podcast a few weeks ago. At some point, you're probably going to have to make a Matherin Duarte decision. But that point does not need to be right now and that's something that fans and media members alike at points jump the gun on where you can take a couple of years there are plenty of minutes within a game especially if you're not focused on regular season or playoff success and give those guys development time give them coaching and see which one you think is going to be the better pro instead of saying we just drafted two overlapping guys in and I mean Duarte is older so that's a little different let's just see who's better.
0: It's also like you're two years away, really, at least from having to make that decision. Like, you know, when you're essentially heading into the final year of Duarte's rookie deal, and there's still so much more that they have to sort out. Like, they need to be more concentrated on accumulating talent than worrying about how the talent fits right now.
1: For sure. And, you know, I think the other, the last kind of point, point, this will go back to the off season that I'm keeping an eye on, and I have been pretty... You know, reluctant to do big picture takeaways considering those guys haven't signed is the resolution of these restricted free agents. Bridges is his own thing, but Ayton. And Colin Sexton in particular, just where in the world it goes from here for those guys is, you know, that's gonna that's gonna change things not only for their future but for their teams. And then on top of that, we did see a couple. You know you and I, you know, going back to our days at mid-level, exceptional. We've been very interested in contract structures. Seeing Lou Dort and Jay Sean Tate's teams decline their team options to give them more money right now. How does that look a couple of years from now?
0: Yeah, um, sorry. The um, my hotel room is right above the pool in my hotel, and they just started bumping music, so I'm getting like thrown off here. But no, I mean, I, I think that the decision to make those guys restricted free agents early is um, is a good one. I think that the Rockets got much better value with the Tate deal than the Thunder did with the Dort deal. I think, I can't remember if it was you talking about it the other day, where you could view Dort's contract as essentially like a four-year, 80-something million dollar extension, rather than the five-year, because you just subtract the one year that he was supposed to get paid. Um, But it's a lot of money for a player who is good, but also is not necessarily a guy that you want to be one of the top four guys on a future contender, but also who knows when the hell OKC's contender window is going to (laughs) be. I was talking about this with some some people yesterday in the hallway, where we were like, OKC okay, obviously, you know, is is doing something that on a scale of like I think even more extreme than what the Sixers did, which you know it's interesting that Hinkie was driven out of the league, but Sam Presti is allowed to do this. Um, not, not that he shouldn't be, but you know, it's just interesting, the reaction from the league office. But the, the question of like, what are you waiting for? I think does need to come up at a certain point. Not that like they should be rushing things, but like everybody on Memphis is like 22 waiting two or three years. You're not going to like make your window better by then. Those guys are going to be coming into their prime. Anthony Edwards is 21, 22. Like he's going to be 25 in, in four years. Like it's <laughs> there's not much to really be waiting. Waiting for. So pushing it off and pushing it off and pushing it off, I don't know how much merit there is to that unless it's like we're going to trade every single first round pick next year for Wenbayama and then we're going to have Chet and Wenbayama and that's going to be our thing, Um, but also who would trade that to you next year if he's as good as people say he is. I haven't watched him. I don't tend to look at draft guys until like the year they're actually going to be in the draft, but I do think that the timeline question there starts to get interesting, not because they've been doing this for too long, but because like, what are they waiting
1: out? I love the way you phrase that, and the impetus is super important in these circumstances because Like, how are you—when are you ready to make the push? And, I mean, we're wondering about that with Detroit. Like, they kind of—they added some players that can help them right now, but, do you know, Noel and Burks and that, like, is that where they're going to go with that? Of course, there's also the weirdness with their frontcourt rotation versus Houston and OKC. You know, both those teams, I think, are completely justified to— Slow things to keep things slow for now and to, to build the asset base. And this ties in with the first point I made, and it's that if you expect that the best players in the league are primarily going to change teams via trades rather than free agency, draft picks have actually become more valuable, especially the high end ones. You know, you, you can find a Rudy Gobert in the 20s, you can find a Giannis in the teens, but it's exceedingly rare. And so that would mean theoretically that drafting high, drafting well is important. And so you want to have as many bites at that apple as you can. But as you got into with OKC, it's as you can doesn't mean forever. It just means you you have that you have a window.
0: Right. And and I don't want to take uh, full credit for the idea. It was um, the guys from uh, DNBR and Denver Stiffs that I was talking with. And they sort of came up with it. And we were batting that idea around for a little bit. Um, and, I, and I thought that that was a really interesting point by them.
1: It is. Well, thank you so much for the conversation, and take care. Thanks for having me, man. I'll see you in a couple hours, I suppose. Absolutely. Thanks again to Jared Dubin for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at 538 and often appears at other outlets as well. And that's why it's a great thing to follow him at J A Dubin 5 That's J-A-D-U-B-I-N and then the number five. Love having him on. And you can also check out through there his authory page, which is everything he does, including some really good NFL work for CBS. And their season starts before the NBA season. So if you're interested in that, you can check that out. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download the podcast wherever you get your podcast Spotify, Apple, wherever and that's great for us because Real GM Radio will never come out on a specific day of the week so you can just get it when it comes in and you can also help other people find the show leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player if you're choosing or just tell people through word of mouth. Really do appreciate all that and this podcast has been around a while but there are still people finding it which we are I'm deeply appreciative of, so you never know. You never know where that can go. You can also check out my other work. Nate and I are still doing plenty of pods for Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. We will, I don't know how soon we're going to start our Summer League stuff, but we'll probably start in the next few weeks, and you know, we're both here in Vegas. I'm still here. He's back now, and have. A lot, I already have lots of notes already, but I'll watch some additional film for the players and teams that I didn't watch as much during my time here in Vegas, and of course, the ones that were in the other Summer Leagues as well. You can also check out my written work at The Athletic. Wrote a piece about how 2023 is looking, which I thought was interesting. I have a couple different offshoots of that. I even talked about one of them with with Jared on the pod. That might be some future writing work. And I forgot to mention, Nate and I are going to continue to do Spotify Live. We are... Tuesdays at 3 Pacific, 6 Eastern is the current timing. That may shift a little bit as we move more firmly into the offseason, but I don't expect to. I think it'll probably be in that range, at least for a while. If you have any feedback... Oh, sorry, I forgot the most important thing you can do to support my stuff if, in case you haven't done it yet, and that's check out our sponsor, betonline.ag. Use that CLNS50 promo code to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit them you came from us. Hopefully, they will continue to advertise on this fair podcast. And I really do appreciate that. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I really do appreciate that. And I will try to reply, but I'm admittedly not the greatest with that. And I have appreciated, You know, you have some in-person interactions in Vegas. That's been very pleasant as well. Really do appreciate the support in all forms, honestly. So that is enough for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.